Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. And we're back. Wow, glad to see. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> I was gonna be like, wow, glad to see you back after your vacation. Thanks. It's good to be back. I hope everyone enjoyed the episode we released last week. Uh, excuse me, re-released last week. Uh, I did mm-hmm. have fun. I got to see my nephews. It was a good time. I ate a lot of junk food. And that is how vacation uh-huh. should be. Lots of junk food. Calories don't count on vacation, in case you were wondering. You're right. Um, yeah, I didn't really do anything fun last week. I did go out to dinner for an extremely early birthday dinner. Um you know, I went to a bar, uh, and we did, they had, like, a communal puzzle at the bar. That was actually fun. I'd never seen that before. It was, like, a chill bar. It wasn't, like, a club. I mean, we were there at, like, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But it was, like, a communal puzzle, and it was, like, a Star Trek puzzle. Me and Brandon, we got pretty far on the puzzle. That does sound fun. Uh, I enjoy, like, a good laid-back atmosphere. And this is with coffee shops or bars where they have, like, couches. Mm-hmm. I like to, I just like to sit. I like to, I'm a, I like mm-hmm. to sit and maybe drink, maybe eat, but, uh, speaking of birthdays, mine was yesterday. I'm old. Happy birthday. But, and then Taylor. She signed up for. I did us Her AARP card. <laughs> listen, I'm here to say, you do not have to be over 55 to register for AARP. Anybody can do this at any age. So what will stop me? From getting those discounts, nothing. Nothing at all. Wait, is that actually true? It is true. I Googled. I saw it on TikTok. I am going to register. I saw it on TikTok. And then I was like, oh, I Googled it. And yeah, it's like you just pay the fee and then you're done. Dang. Right now I get triple A discounts, you know. But I feel like the AARP probably got better ones. Yeah, probably. I mean, I have triple A. It's nice. Help, Help me get a toe recently. (laughs) <laughs> but i mean i hear aarp got everything so y'all better watch out well me and taylor <laughs> gonna be the youngest people at the retirement home hell yeah yeah my birthday is what like in about two weeks yeah so your birthday is actually two exactly two weeks after mine it is wow it's great but uh, this isn't a podcast about our birthdays, even though if you would like to send us a gift, our address is 555-678-910, uh, birthday lane. But this is a podcast called This Is Gonna Sound Weird, and I'm Taylor, if you haven't gathered that yet. And I am Sydney, if you're not good at context clues. And each week, we have a episode where we cover different topics about true crime, paranormal, and everything in between. Taylor, what's our theme this week? It is couples who kill or killer couples. Yeah. In honor of Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. A holiday which I hate and have always hated. Sorry. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. Um Saint Valentine didn't die for you to be so bitter, Taylor. <laughs> I honestly don't know why I don't like it. When I was in high school, so obviously when you're in high school, you're like angsty and it's like, I don't have a boyfriend, so I hate Valentine's Day. And then the first Valentine's Day rolls around, Brandon is, uh, we're dating. And uh, that Valentine's Day, yeah, I still hated it. He brought me flowers, which I hated. Um, I told him that I thanked him, but then told him to never get me that ever again. And he hasn't. He's never gotten me flowers again. Um, He's good at listening and taking orders. Very important in a suitor, ladies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I was a single person, I'd sound extremely bitter. And I probably still do sound bitter, but I don't know. There's just something about it I don't like. Too commercialized, and there's nothing fun to do. Halloween's commercialized, but I get to dress up in a fun outfit and get candy. Um, you know, I, I, I could take it or leave it, personally. I used to like it when I was little because we used to make the little mailboxes, you know, mm-hmm. for your class. And then you got candy and little uh, little cards that were like Scooby-Doo themed. So I think we should yeah, bring that back. Those. I'd like to normalize that in the office. 
Um, but I also I like too. to, I like uh, February 15th a little bit more because I like to go to Target and get the discounted candies and snacks because Target always has like Pirate's mm. Booty and Goldfish individually wrapped. Damn. And I like that. I like to take that for a little snack at work and they're kind of cute. Like they'll have like veggie straws that look like X's and O's. I get that 50% off the day after Valentine's Day. Okay, I will. I you know I should do that because I've been just housing pirates booty this past week. Um, so I'd like to get some on sale because it ain't cheap, people. The pirates booty ain't cheap. It ain't. It ain't. But you could also get them. Uh, my boss gets hers at Costco. So steal somebody's Costco membership yep. and get your some. I've been thinking about getting one right now. It was like sixty bucks for a year, and I was like, you know what? That ain't bad. That ain't bad. It ain't. Especially because your fiance loves to stockpile things for the apocalypse. So rather than him, you know, having to go out into the wilderness and kill his own animals, you could just get like a 30 pack of chicken. Yeah. Nobody tell him, but I broke into a stockpile the other day and stole some cans. They were having a can drive at school and I forgot to get cans. So I broke into the stockpile and stole out most of the cans. (laughs) So I hope the apocalypse don't come soon. Yeah. He's going to have to eat you. If the apocalypse comes this week because of those five cans Damn. you stole. Well, lucky for him, I'm getting very skinny. Or unlucky for him. <laughs> wow. Um, so stay tuned to see if uh, Taylor becomes a victim of her fiance. But let's talk about maybe a couple that had victims. Okay. My... Nice segue. Yeah. No. No. It was, it was sl- <laughs> seamless. To say the least. Smooth like butter. (laughs) But let's go ahead. Would you like to know who my killer couple is? Yes, because you didn't tell me. It is the infamous Bonnie and Clyde. Damn. I thought about it, but I didn't. Yeah. Um, I initially was like, I don't know why I questioned this. I was like, I don't know if Bonnie and Clyde killed anybody. Yes, they did. That's See, a spoiler. Kind of, you know, like romanticized. So then you're kind of like, hmm, what did they actually do? I don't, I really don't know. <laughs> they just dressed cool as hell. Exactly. Very dapper. Uh-huh. They're just good to dress up for at Halloween. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But this week I just, I kept the, the sources real simple and to the point. It's just Wikipedia and FBI.gov. Wow. You gotta go back to basics sometimes, y'all. True. Bonnie Elizabeth Parker was born in Texas in 1910. Her father was a bricklayer who died when Bonnie was just four years old, leading her mother to move back in with her parents. And Bonnie would actually end up dropping out of high school and marrying her high school boyfriend, Roy Thornton, on September 25th, 1926, just six days after her 16th birthday. And their relationship was pretty short-lived, but they were never officially divorced, and Bonnie continued to wear her wedding ring until she died. I mean, ladies, even if the relationship don't work out, you can keep that ring if you want. Keep the ring. You can do something with it. Sell it. (laughs) Or just wear it. Ain't nobody gotta know. Anybody gotta know? But Clyde Barrow was born in 1909 to a poor farming family in Texas. Clyde was arrested at 17 after running from police when they confronted him about a rental car that he failed to return on time. He was arrested a second time for possession of stolen turkeys. Yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's a very Texas crime. And, earn- yeah. and earned his money by cracking safes robbing stores and stealing cars okay all around gangster shit exactly i um you know it was more gangster whenever he was still in turkeys but i'll let it go (laughs) we're only here for the poultry crime anything other than that it's just marbles to me But Clyde met Bonnie through a mutual friend in January of 1930, when Clyde was 20 and Bonnie was 19, but their romance was quickly interrupted. When Clyde was arrested for auto theft, he was sent to prison, but escaped using a weapon Bonnie smuggled to him. He was captured shortly after and sent back to prison, 
And while in prison, Clyde was repeatedly sexually assaulted and retaliated by killing his tormentor by crushing his skull with a pipe. Oh. Another inmate who was already going to serve a life sentence actually claimed responsibility for this crime. Mm. But you know what? That's kind of nice. Yeah. I mean, I assume maybe some other lives will be saved if he would have stayed in jail. But, you know. We'll but you know what? How was that inmate supposed to know? That's true. You trying to you know trying to do something nice. Yeah. No good deed goes unpunished. Very true. That's why I don't do good deeds. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Only terrible acts. <laughs> yeah. In order to avoid hard labor in prison, Clyde purposely had two of his toes chopped off by another inmate, which caused him to walk with a limp for the rest of his life. Well, that, I don't know if that's worth it. (laughs) I don't know. But, you know what? He got that gangster limp now. Oh, God. However, Clyde was set free six days after his injury because, unbeknownst to him, Clyde's mother had successfully petitioned for his release. Mm. Well, sucks for him, I guess. Now he has two missing toes. <laughs> now he only has eight for toes. For no reason. <laughs> It'd be so embarrassing for him to go get a pedicure. But once released, Clyde continued to rob grocery stores and gas stations, which his favorite weapon was a M1918 Browning automatic rifle, if that means anything to anyone. It doesn't to me. Um, all I get from that is that it's one of those automatic guns that you see all of the, the gangsters in the old gangster movies. Like, you know what I'm talking about? This guy like the... Like the chain almost coming out of it? I guess. I'm not a gun expert. I don't know. Somebody who's a gun expert, slide in our DMs. Yep. So if you know, if you know a thing or two about a thing or two, let us know. Yep. After Clyde's release from prison in February of 1932, he, Bonnie, and a fellow inmate, Ralph Flutes, began a series of robberies. During these robberies, they would collect money and firepower with a plan to launch a raid against Eastham Prison. In April... Flute was captured in a failed hardware store burglary and never rejoined the gang after being released from prison. So this just left Bonnie and Clyde to continue on with their robberies. On April 30th, Clyde was the getaway driver in a robbery in which the store owner, J.N. Butcher, was shot and killed. Butcher's wife identified Clyde as one of the shooters. In June... Clyde failed to see warning signs at a bridge under construction while driving the car. He flipped it into a ravine, which caused Bonnie to experience severe burns on her leg from a car battery underneath the car's floorboard. And it, there's mixed reports about whether or not it was like battery acid from the car battery or if like there was a car fire but all you need to know is that she had such bad burns on one of her legs that she could barely walk she either had to hop on her good leg or she was having to be carried by clyde from this point on yeah there was uh back in the day like cars they did have their batteries like up under the floors like in a place where they should not be um, cause I remember we like read a case in law school where somebody had gotten a wreck and the battery acid had leaked out all over this mom and like her child and they were like sitting in the battery acid for so long. It was like terrible. So I think that was some car manufacturing thing back in the day that they have had to change. Um, but yeah, not good. Mm-mm, no. So, on August 5th, Clyde and some friends were drinking at a local country dance when Sheriff C.G. Maxwell and Deputy Eugene C. Moore approached them in the parking lot. Clyde and his men open-fired, killing Moore and injuring Maxwell. Then, Christmas Day, 1932, Clyde murdered Dal Johnson, a young family man, while stealing his car Clyde then killed Tarrant County Deputy Malcolm Davis on January 6, 1933, when he and Bonnie wandered into a police trap set for another criminal. At this point, Clyde and his gang had murdered five people since April. The heck? 
And so they're and they're just like stealing cars and just they're just like robbing shit, stealing cars, stealing weapons, and just killing anybody in their way. Oh, yeah, no, not a good place to be if you're a bystander. No. Uh, no, I think I'm good. I'm not gonna dress up as them as Halloween anymore. Nope. But in March 1933, Ivan M. Buck, who was Clyde's brother, was released from prison. And he and his wife, Blanche, quickly joined Clyde's gang. The gang continued on with their robbery spree across the country, and they became very well known. Uh, and law enforcement had to actually increase their efforts to apprehend the group, which made this, like, even more dangerous. Because, like, at this point, law enforcement was like, we have to get these people. These dudes are so bad. Like, which, you know, like, Bonnie and Clyde and their people, they knew the police were going to be after them so they were ready to just like kidnap anybody shoot anybody to get out of police custody no i didn't realize that they worked like with the group for some reason when i picture them or the way people talk about them it's always kind of like it's them against the world and you know they're the only people that they have but yeah it makes a lot more sense that they're in like this like group of people doing all this yeah and what I would say is there's Clyde and there's Bonnie and then there's people that kind of like funnel in and out throughout their time, mm. you know, whether it be the person that this with them gets arrested or dies, you know. Um, so through mm-hmm. it all, Bonnie and Clyde are like the two people that remain in the group the entire time. But I, yeah, I agree. I also did not realize that they had basically a whole gang of people in with them yeah but their gang continued on their robbery spree across the country they became very well known and during a shootout with police in iowa on july 29th 1933 uh buck who was clyde's brother was actually fatally wounded and balance was actually captured by authorities so then again you know it's just bonnie and clyde then on November 22nd, 1933, a trap was set by Dallas Sheriff's Office in an attempt to capture Bonnie and Clyde near Grand Prairie, Texas. But the couple escaped. They robbed an attorney on the highway and took his car, which they then abandoned in Miami, Oklahoma. And this would be a pattern we would see over and over again. With them, they would rob and shoot anyone that got in their way. And it, actually, this is what I thought kind of interesting. In some instances, when they would kidnap somebody because they're, like, stealing their car or something or they're robbing them, they sometimes would, like, well, they would definitely, if they kidnapped somebody, they would drop them off far from their home. But sometimes they would mm-hmm. give these people money so that they could get back home. They'd be like, hey, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for riding with us and letting us steal your car. Here's five bucks for the bus. What the heck? I'll be like, could you not have just, you know, left me to begin with? (laughs) (laughs) No. You gotta join. You gotta ride with us. Like, you could have saved money and hassle by just, you know, just kicking me out of the car. That's what I would prefer, uh, personally, than being carted off and then given five bucks to figure out how to get back home. So, sometimes the gang would stay in motels. But oftentimes, they turn to camping to avoid attention. Because obviously, I feel like, you know, at this point, they were pretty, uh, they were pretty well known, you know. They're, mm-hmm. And I, and at this point, you know, you couldn't go anywhere without seeing like a wanted poster of their faces. Yeah. Especially if you know like Bonnie and Clyde are out, you'd probably be like, you know, I, I don't know what they look like, but I did see a couple and this lady got a limp. You know, that's kind of suspicious. So they yep. just end up with like sleep in the woods to avoid suspicion. Then on January 16th, 1934, five prisoners were liberated from Easton State Prison Farm by Clyde and Bonnie. So this was the same prison that Clyde... Um, and his, you know, uh, fellow gang members had been in before. And at this point, this was just sort of like Clyde was kind of given the middle finger to the whole legal system. 
Uh-huh. So they they help five prisoners escape. And during this, two guards were actually shot by the escaping prisoners with automatic pistols. So Bonnie and Clyde had provided these prisoners with automatic rifles to help them escape. The attack on the prison attracted the attention of both Texas and federal government. And this launched a full-blown manhunt for Bonnie and Clyde. The Texas Department of Correction contacted former Texas Ranger Captain Frank Hammer and persuaded him to hunt down the Burrow Gang. So it's Clyde Burrow, so they refer to it as the Burrow Gang. He accepted the assignment, and Hammer was a tall, burly man who for 20 years had been feared and admired throughout Texas. He was officially credited with 53 kills and had uh, suffered 17 wounds throughout his service. And he actually ended up beginning to live out of his car while he followed Bonnie and Clyde. Like, he dedicated, like, his whole life to fighting them. He slept in his car, and he was going to, like, study them, figure out their patterns, their likes, their dislikes, so that he could find them. Because at this point, they're just kind of beat bopping around the country. Mm-hmm. On April 1st, 1934, Bonnie and Clyde encountered two young highway patrolmen. In Grapevine, Texas. Before the officers could draw their guns, they were actually shot and killed. And this story received widespread coverage. Which is interesting because I feel like I don't know why really this specific story took off. Because I would have thought that the prison escape would have, you know, taken off. But no, it was this incident that really made... I guess the public take note of it. And I feel like the public knew about it, but there was a lot of coverage in newspapers recounting this incident. And this solidified the public's perception of the duo. Because if they weren't already hated by now, they they definitely were now and people were infatuated with them. And I think it was also because, like, this was maybe the first instance of people having the idea that Bonnie herself could be a killer rather than just Mm. Clyde. But, I mean, she's been with them since the beginning. But, I don't know. But Highway Patrolman offered a reward of $1,000 for the dead bodies of the Grapevine Slayers, while Texas Governor Ma Ferguson added another $500 for each of the two killers. And then just five days later, when Clyde murdered 60-year-old Constable Campbell after this, he kidnapped police officer Chief Percy Boyd, crossed the state line into Kansas and let him go, giving him a clean shirt, a few dollars, and a request from Bonnie to tell the world that she did not smoke cigarettes. Which, I want to be like, (laughs) ma'am. Wow. Okay, you know... Even back then, she was like, this cigarette thing, I know it's not going to be good for my image. So, uh, we need we need the public to know I do not smoke cigarettes. Excuse me. She did not smoke cigars. She did smoke cigarettes. She does not smoke cigars. I misspoke. You know, either way, um, what? That would be like, in today's standards, me going, I don't smoke cigarettes, but I do vape. Like, what does it matter (laughs) yeah what does it matter i feel like now people think cigars are more classy than the cigarettes maybe i don't know maybe back in the day cigars were more like of a manly thing i guess they still are yeah i don't get it you know i I feel like that's the least of her worries ma'am you're wanting for murder Mm -hmm. but you know teach their own she said she did not want them to think that she smoked cigars okay well you know what, though? I think she did smoke cigars. Huh. Ah. Gotcha, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> but Hammer studied the gang's movement, and he found that they were exploiting the state line rule, which prevented officers from pursuing a fugitive into another jurisdiction. So basically, anytime they were in one state, and, you know, they were like, oh, the people are on to us, they just skip over to another state. And Hammer found that Clyde was very like intentional about where he moved and kind of had a pattern to it so he charted their path and predicted that they 
where they would go next. So oftentimes, Clyde's gang would go and visit family. And so he figured out that the gang was actually due to visit Henry Maffin's family in Louisiana. And Henry was a member of the gang for quite some time. So they were due to go to Louisiana. So Hammer and his men set up an ambush along Louisiana State Highway 154 South at approximately 9.15 a.m. on May 23rd. Hammer's men heard the Ford V8 Clyde was driving approaching at high speed. And police had persuaded Ivy Mathvin to position his truck along the shoulder of the road that morning. Because they hoped that Clyde would stop to speak with him, put his vehicle close to the posse's position in the bushes, and that the men could fire into the vehicle. Well, the men did fire into the vehicle, and they fired about 130 rounds of ammunition, emptying their weapons into the car, killing both Bonnie and Clyde. Shoot. And after the shootout, officers found the vehicle filled with weapons, including stolen automatic rifles, sawed-off semi-automatic shotguns, assorted handguns, and several thousands rounds of ammunition, along with 15 sets of license plates from various states, which, you know, I can only assume is that they would kind of switch it out. And mm-hmm. words of their death pretty quickly spread through the area, like almost immediately. Uh, a crowd soon gathered at the crime scene, and people just basically, it was like a circus, like a media circus at that point. People were scavenging. One woman cut off bloody locks of Bonnie's hair and pieces of her dress, which were then sold as souvenirs. And a man attempted to cut off Clyde's trigger finger, and another man cut off Clyde's left ear. And everyone was just taking souvenirs from the infamous Bonnie and Clyde. Their bullet-ridden car was later exhibited at carnivals and fairs and then sold as a collector's item in 1988. And the Prime Valley Resort and Casino in Las Vegas purchased it for about $250,000. And I believe to this day you can see it at the like a crime museum somewhere. Yeah, um, I think I've heard that. But... At the time they were killed in 1934, it was believed that the two had committed 13 murders along with their numerous robberies and burglaries. But that is the story of the killer couple, Bonnie and Clyde. You know, so how long did they, how long did they do this for? Like for like a couple years, like four-ish years? Yeah, it wasn't like, it was like a relatively short-lived because Clyde was released from prison in 1932. So it was only about two years, which okay, I guess, I guess is long because I feel like, like in today's standards, like if you were doing this, you would be caught almost immediately. But I guess like in, in those standards... This might have been short-lived. I don't know. Like, how long did Ted Bundy run amok? Years, right? Yeah. Which I was just more thinking about, like, um, they were so young. They all, they met each other, and they were, like, 19 and 20. And then, I don't know. I always thought they were older. You know, like, they're literally, like, our age. That just seems like a lot to do at this age. <laughs> yeah, so, I believe, let me see. So, I think Bonnie died maybe at 25, and Clyde, 26? No. Bonnie was 23, Clyde was 25. Oh! According to Wikipedia. So, pretty young. Yeah, I'm, uh, what, I'm 23 right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not ready. Also, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not about that. That's too much. That's too much to be doing at this young age, this ripe age of 23. Yeah, but I also feel like back in the day, I feel like people just, well, it could be the fact that they're black and white pictures, but I feel like 
the most part, people kind of looked older just because of their clothes. And they didn't have moisturizer or sunscreen. <laughs> so they would look kind of old. <laughs> they look a little rough. Yeah. But uh, thank you for that story. I honestly, obviously I know who, well, because I don't really know who they are. But I know who they are. Because everybody knows what they look like. But I didn't mm. actually know what they did. But yeah. Um, I find them interesting, uh, mostly because, I mean, I just love that sort of era of the, Mm -hmm. like, 1930s Americana. So, you know, I just envision, like, Sinatra, Dean Martin playing in the background as they're robbing a bank. Yeah. But, you know, I think about, you know, I think about, oh, you know, 1930s, it seems so glamorous, blah, blah, blah. But then I think about how my family actually lived in the 30s like my grandma and great grandma and obviously that's probably where I would live if I was born there you know if you think about like well what if I was just born in my family earlier I would not want to do that they was very broke uh (laughs) I've seen the house they lived in and I I think I'm good (laughs) that's fair enough that's fair enough and you know there was a little thing around that time called the great depression yeah I've heard of that you ever heard of that (laughs) Uh, contrary to the name, not so great. Not great. Not great at all. Very depressing, though. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Not a happy time. But no. go ahead and tell me about your killer couple, Taylor. So, I'm doing my story this week on the San Francisco witch killers. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I didn't... I didn't actually figure out the fun name for them until today, but then when I read it, I was like, okay, yes, I've definitely heard of them before. I knew I had, but I knew they had a little snappy name, and that's it. Uh, so anyways, these are my sources. Wikipedia.com, TheDailyBeast.com, an article by Kate Briquillette. I probably butchered that. Um, and then an Oxygen documentary or show, and it was Killer Couples. It was season two, episode 10. So, it's 1977. James Carson lives in Phoenix, Arizona with his wife and his daughter. But uh, he starts acting a little weird. Uh, His wife was noticing that he was having some severe behavioral challenges and she was getting concerned. Which was kind of weird because James had grown up um, as a quiet and shy kid. He had a pretty good life, you know, nothing abnormal, nothing crazy, just a normal dude, normal life. He went to the University of Iowa for college, which is where he fell in love with his wife, and the two got married in 1970. But after he graduated, he had he, he was described as being fairly intellectual, um, but he had a hard time finding work, and his wife worked. I think she was a teacher, and this made him pretty depressed um, because he was so well-educated, but the only thing he could find for work was to be a busboy. And, you know, that would be depressing to me this day and age because uh, I've taken out tons of student loans. And if I can't find a job that can pay them off, yeah, I'd be pretty sad about that as well. I would be as well. Yeah. So because of these changes, though, they were getting his behavioral changes. His wife decided that it would be best to leave him and she took their daughter with her. But no, no, no need to fear. James would not stay single for long because soon after this, he met a recently divorced woman at a house party and her name was Susan. And she was the mother of two teenage boys. So Susan, she grew up in a good, wealthy family, but as a young child, uh, they said she started to exhibit some strange behaviors. I don't know if they're really strange, but for the times they were strange. Um, She was telling people that she was some sort of, she was a psychic, that she could read people's minds, which honestly, when I was a little kid, I probably said some shit like that too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was obsessed with Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So don't, don't act like I, I was like, that cat can talk. It's just faking it. Yeah. But in the fifties, I don't think that was taken quite as well. Um, Bewitched has it hadn't come out yet. <laughs> no, nah, not yet. Uh, but she just felt like she was special in some way. She thought she was different than everyone around her. 
and she just really didn't think she was meant to live this average suburban lifestyle. So in her 30s, she started getting involved in the counterculture around where she lived. She started doing drugs. She was having affairs. And this eventually led to her and her husband divorcing. So, like, I get the sentiment she's going for. But, uh, you know, I guess also back in the day, you can't tell your husband, hey, I want to, you know, get involved in, you know, I don't want to be this average suburban mom, um, you know. So who knows? But you know what, I'm not going to vouch for her because we're going to see she's a shitty person. So, Susan, during this time, was also doing hallucinogens. Ooh. And on one of her trips, she had, she was tripping and she was writing, like, all over the wall. And when she kind of came out of her trip, she had written the name Susan with a Z all over the wall. So, S-U-Z-A-N. And she said that this was a divine message. Yeah. But when you look (laughs) at it, it don't look like it's spelled Suzanne. Because when I think Suzanne, I think S-U-Z-A-N-N-E or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yes, it's literally Susan with a Z. Um, But she said that this was a divine message that she needed to change her name. So she changed her name to Susan with a Z, now pronounced Suzanne. Um, You know. And, you know, when she met Michael, uh, sorry, his name's not Michael yet. When she met James, she told him that she had a vision um, and that his name was actually Michael because Michael was the angel who had fought the devil and that he needed to change, he needed to change his name to Michael. And he was like, you know what? Sounds like a great idea. I will. Um, and when they met, Michael was in like, a a pretty bad place um he was depressed and I think she kind of liked that he kind of listened to her and she it seems to me that she could tell she was going to be able to control him which is interesting because uh you typically think in these situations it's usually the man that is like kind of dictating what the woman does especially in these like killer couple situations um no not Suzanne she's a boss I know so James now known as Michael. He actually wrote a letter to his daughter stating that God had given him a new name and that it was Michael Bear. So they've also changed their last names and their last names is Bear like the animal. So they are Suzanne and Michael Bear. Which was confusing during the research because half the time it would call them the Bears, half the time it would call them the Carsons. So I really just tried to call them the couple throughout this. Um, but you know, they didn't legally change their names, which is why it's so confusing, but they're going to go by their new names from now on. So not long after these two met, they were infatuated with each other. They, uh, apparently were having sex all the time, and they both got involved in hard drugs and mysticism. They even decided, uh, that they were going to create their own religion, and it was based very loosely on Islam. And when I say very, I mean very. I don't know anything about Islam, but I'm going to go ahead and say this is a very, very loose interpretation. That's um, probably, that's probably <laughs> fair to say. Yeah, but the main principle of this religion is that they thought that Allah had made them warriors that were put on the earth to fight witches. Um, And their mission was to kill these witches. Now, around 1980, the couple decided it was time to take a trip. And so they took a year-long trip to Europe. And while on this trip, they got married under the moonlight at Stonehenge. Um... But it wasn't a real marriage. Um, they pretty much just went up there and were like, I don't know. They were probably on drugs and were like, oh my god, we're married. No, I like to believe it was very mystical, you know. They mm-hmm. probably, like, drank each other's blood, like Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox. Yep. And, you know, when you really think about it, they probably were, like, stumbling around, probably half blacked out. Not a, Not a... A beautiful situation like they paint it. But when they were in Europe, they ran out of money. So they had to come back to the U.S. And when they got back to the U.S., they went to Phoenix because that's where they were from. But they were broke. They had nowhere to live. And they weren't very well received in Phoenix because now they had these shabby appearances. And they had all these new age ideas. So they thought, you know what? 
we're going to move to San Francisco. And they moved to the Haight-Ashbury neighborhood in San Francisco because they thought they would be a lot better received there. And I guess they were somewhat more received there because they stayed. Um, And while they were there, they got more involved in drugs, more involved in mysticism. But people in the couple's lives started to become more concerned about their behavior. Michael's ex-wife was very scared that he may try to harm her or try to abduct their daughter. So she tried her best to hide herself and her daughter. And she moved numerous times to different places. And she cut off all contact with mutual acquaintances um, in an attempt to just disappear from their lives. And so after they had moved to San Francisco, the couple... Uh, They needed a place to live because they still had no money and nowhere to live. So they met a 23-year-old woman named Karen Barnes. And they met her at a party. And they ended up asking her, like, hey, can we stay with you at your apartment for a little bit? And she just said yes. Hmm. Uh, Karen, yeah. Yeah, hell no. So Karen was an aspiring actress from Georgia. She was known as a really good person. And her family said that she would help anyone And that's kind of how she got involved with this couple. I guess, you know, she didn't want to say no, Mm. you know. And also, she probably was new in the town, too. And, you know, maybe just trying to make some friends. I don't know. No. I'm going to stop you right there. Um, Listeners, there's a difference between being a good person and um, being a future victim. Don't, Don't do it don't don't invite people in your home don't give them rides don't if somebody approaches you in a store don't go out to the parking lot with them absolutely not absolutely not don't do it no um but she was being really nice and this was also in the 70s so i feel like we didn't really know well 70s early 80s you know we weren't as cautious as we are now so she allowed them to stay with her for a couple weeks and it was fine and You know, they left after the two weeks were up, but the couple ended up coming back. And when they came back, they broke into Karen's apartment and then they bludgeoned her with a frying pan and stabbed her 13 times. Yep. Uh, After they killed her, they wrapped her body in a blanket and hid her in the basement. Now, the reason that the couple said they killed Karen was because she was a, quote, psychic vampire. And that Karen was draining Suzanne of her health, beauty, and powers. And so they had to kill Karen. And this was all a part of their quest um, that they believed they were put on this earth to do by Allah. I'm going to call bullshit on all of that. I'm going to call bullshit on that. But Um, that is what they said. Yep. Yep. Now I couldn't say... If Karen had mystical powers, maybe she did, but, I mean, if she was a nice lady, she's probably not draining you of your, your energies. No. Uh, so, when Karen was found, uh, by investigators, they believed that whoever had killed her had known her, and because the couple had recently been living with her, and I guess people knew this, they were the prime suspects, but they had skipped town before the body was even found. Uh, The couple had fled to the mountains in a hideout near Grand Pass, Oregon. And they remained here hiding out until the spring of 1982. And at this point, they moved to Alder Point, California. And when they moved there, they started to work on a marijuana farm. So, yeah, you know, a very hippie lifestyle, but not not really. Because I think hippies are usually pretty chill and nice. And these people are the opposite. Absolutely. They're killing the damn Bob. Yeah, they are killing the damn Bob. And the people on the farm also, the marijuana farm people thought so. uh, Because the workers at the farm said that the couple were anarchists who were advocating for a revolution. And they were making predictions that a nuclear apocalypse was going to happen soon. So, like, yeah, they were killing the vibe all over the damn place. Nobody wants to talk about that on the marijuana farm. They really, they just really don't. No, absolutely not. They they really want you to chill out mm-hmm. and just, like, take it easy, man. Yeah. <laughs> Do what? Take it easy, man. That's a direct quote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From Drake and Josh. But, uh, you know, the people on the farm, they seem to have some conflict with the couple. 
And this conflict unfortunately ended in a tragedy because in May 1982, Michael had a dispute with another worker named Clark Stevens. Michael shot and killed Clark and tried to dispose of his body by burning it and then burying it under some chicken fertilizer in the woods. Again, the couple said that they killed Clark because he was a demon and a, quote, petty witch who wanted to live off of Susan's life or Suzanne's life. Damn it. Um, I don't know what a petty witch <laughs> means, but uh, I would Is like to be known as that. Is that the same as a from... petty bitch? Uh, you know, I don't know, but I'm going to say if anybody's petty in this situation, it is Suzanne. Suzanne uh, and with a Z. Michael. Uh, and honestly, I don't know, you know, I obviously don't know the mindset of these people. And if I did some more in-depth research, I may could figure it out. But I'm wondering if he's just following along with her, but then he's the one that's kill. it seems like doing the killing. I really don't know. I'm wondering if she's convincing him, like, hey, he's he's a petty witch and he's trying to take my life force. So you need to kill him. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, or but, is it more that he, she's just like, hey, will you kill this person? And then afterwards they're like, ah, oh, we're going to have to come up with a, a reason. See? Yeah, that's what I was, they, see, that's what I'm thinking too. But the reasoning, I don't know, which I guess I'll kind of talk about it later. But Clark's body wasn't discovered until about two weeks after he was killed. Um, and at this point, he had been reported missing. And this led the Humboldt County Sheriff's Office to do an investigation, you know, around the marijuana farm. And that's when they found the body. Again, the couple fled, but they were also considered suspects in the murder. However, when they fled, they actually had left some of their personal belongings behind, and the detectives found them. Among these belongings was a manifesto that the couple had written, in which they called for the assassination of the then-president, Ronald Reagan. But even though they found some of their belongings, none of them really helped investigators to locate them, because investigators were having a difficult time. They couldn't find the couple. But... In November of 1982, Michael was hitchhiking and an acquaintance spotted him. And Michael actually was picked up by Los Angeles police. However, there was a police error and Michael was quickly released. And then, of course, he disappeared before the Humboldt County detectives, you know, who were wanting to investigate them for the murder, had a chance to question him. So there, it was like probably a clerical error or something. And he was released before they were able to ask him any questions. Which is terrible because it could have saved a person that I will get to. Mm. So again, Michael had actually left items behind. Um, I guess in the police car. This was kind of confusing. Apparently it says he left behind a mugshot, address information, and a gun. I really don't know what a, why he would have a mugshot, and he doesn't seem to have an address, but he also left a gun. But it didn't really matter, I don't guess, because the following January of 1983, the couple were hitchhiking, and this time they were near Bakersfield, California, and they were picked up by a 30-year-old man named John Charles Hellyar. And it was typical, uh, John's family said it was typical of him to pick up hitchhikers because he had apparently been hitchhiking himself since he was like 16 and he wanted to help others, which, you know, is kind of nice because, you know, if you're hitchhiking and you want to get in a car with somebody who, you know, is chill, then maybe you'll pick up people because you're like, I'm chill. I'll pick up these people and take them somewhere. Um, John's brother said that he had left home to join the quote, free loving hippies movement, and at the time he picked up the couple, I guess he had gotten involved in drugs, but at this time he was turning his life around. He had gotten off drugs, was doing better. Now, some sources say that it, after John picked them up, that they actually spent the night with him and some friends, and then they started driving again the next day. But some say that they just, you know, started driving. But either way, while John was driving with the couple in the car, and apparently an argument broke out. And then a physical fight broke out in the car. And this fight made John pull over on River Road. And the fight escalated and they had to get out of the car. And Suzanne ended up stabbing John while he and Michael were struggling over a gun. 
And then once John was stabbed, Michael was able to gain control over the gun and Michael shot John and killed him. Which is weird, too, because the last two killings were both after what they say was an altercation. Mm -hmm. But also, who's to say, really, if there was an altercation? Um, But I don't know. To me, they keep saying that they're witches, but I'm just really wondering if they are just hopped up on drugs and they're getting into fights with people and then killing them and trying to blame it later on the fact that they were a witch. Because, again, the couple said that they had actually killed John because he was a witch who was making sexual advances towards Suzanne, which they said is punishable by death under their faith. But luckily, a passing motorist saw this incident and they called police. At this point, the couple got into John's car and tried to flee the scene, but this resulted in a high-speed chase and the couple ended up crashing the car and at that point, the police were able to apprehend both of them. After the couple was arrested, they initially called a press conference so that they could confess to all three murders. And they did. They confessed to the murders. But before their trial, they withdrew their confessions. And they both entered pleas of not guilty. And I'm like, what the heck? Why? Why? So the first trial was just for the murder of Karen Barnes. Um, And they were convicted of her murder and sentenced to 25 years in prison, which doesn't seem like a lot, uh, but they will get more time, luckily. Because following this conviction, they were also convicted of Clark Stevens' murder and given 50 years to life. They were also then convicted of John Hellyar's murder and received 75 years to life. In 1989, the First District Court of Appeals affirmed their third and final conviction. So, I assume they tried to appeal each conviction. But, in the end, they were all affirmed. Um, And Michael is currently incarcerated at Mule Creek State Prison. And Suzanne is incarcerated at Central California Women's Facilities. Now, in the years following their conviction, the couple would do some interviews. They actually had a five-hour interview with KGO TV. Uh, they talked to the San Francisco Chronicle. They, they continued to speak with investigators. And what they would tell these people was that they were actually pacifists and that they were just vegetarian yoga practitioners that converted to a form of Islam. Um, but they still said that their crimes only emerged because they had to kill people who were witches. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, That's what? fair enough. That's fair enough. You know, they really they, stuck they with maybe the... took the Salem witch trial a little too literally. Yeah, they really stuck with it. They really like to call themselves vegetarian yoga practitioners. I'm like, what does that even mean? That is why we can now support vegetarians because they say, hey, I don't mur- murder a cow, but I will murder you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you're a vegetarian, yeah. please don't come for me. Okay, I've thought about going vegetarian. Well, not really, but I've thought about trying to eat more veggies, like, and stuff. But for some reason, I just feel like I'm just eating a lot of beans. Oh, yeah. All oh, the yeah. recipes have freaking beans. And I don't um, want all those it's just beans. All, it's all burrito bowls for me with just beans. Yeah, so I don't know how I feel about it. Um, But the couple has shown no remorse for their crimes. And in 2020, Michael was actually up for parole, but his own daughter was at the forefront of trying to keep him incarcerated. Uh, She was really vocal about it. She was, like, posting on social media. Uh, But some of the, uh, like, family members of the victims, they were kind of upset at this because I guess they didn't like the way the daughter was going about this, making it very public and all that. And they said she was just trying to capitalize off of what her dad had done. But she said that while these claims hurt her that she was trying to capitalize, she said she really just wanted to put pressure on the parole board because she really thought he needed to stay locked up. Because apparently she has had some contact with him and he apparently is still an incredibly disturbing person. Um, and I'm pretty confident he did not get out on parole and him and Suzanne remain in prison, hopefully where they will remain for the remainder of their lives. And that is the San Francisco witch killers. 
wow i've never heard of that um it's interesting that they killed people um and they were like oh they're witches um which is very random and i would say the most like the last murder seemed the most random almost like not as premeditated as the other two yeah they were all kind of different like the first one i really don't know and like i think i did read somewhere where karen was um the first woman that they murdered was involved in some sort of like i don't know like mysticism type stuff but who isn't also so were they so it doesn't make sense. I'm like, if anything, y'all are witches. So what now? What now? Yeah, is this like yeah. uh, the Wicked Witch of the East versus the Good Witch of the whatever? I would say um, probably a lot of it had to do with uh, drugs. Yep, that could That's be it. That could answer. be it. Final answer is drugs. Don't do them, kids. They will ruin your brain. This is your brain on nothing and this is your brain on marijuana a fried egg and a pan if you haven't seen the commercials <laughs> the old commercials do you remember those commercials from <laughs> our, like our like childhood where uh, it was like this is what how she's been ever since she started smoking pot and it's just like a girl who is like deflated on the couch she looks yeah. like flat stanley <laughs> yes you know, honestly, if I'm being completely honest, this is kind of a tangent, but you know how we had to do D.A.R.E. in fifth grade? Yeah. D won't do drugs, A won't have an attitude. I'm going to be honest. If they did not tell me about drugs in D.A.R.E., I would go out on a limb and say I would not have known about drugs till probably I was halfway through high school because I was very sheltered. My school taught me what drugs were. That is true. They <laughs> also taught me what <laughs> drugs were. Uh, and then I went through life just thinking that as soon as I got to high school, someone was going to approach me in a hallway and make me like snort a line of cocaine, which never, never happened. Um, I don't know if that happens at other schools, but my high school didn't happen. People weren't just giving away heroin Mm -mm. in a cafeteria. But yeah, I agree. Uh, I actually saw this thing that was like, our generation has the most drug use because dare was such a terrible program well they taught me what drugs were and then i was curious i mean i was so sheltered i wasn't that curious but for some kids they but they don't tell you enough they tell you just enough to where you're real curious because at first you're like well, why are they so bad and what are they and then you get real curious and you think about it and blah 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 honestly if they never told me about it i probably would have never thought about it never would have known about it yeah I agree. Um, but, but, you know, know, whatever. I still know the song. D won't do drugs. A won't have an attitude. R, I will respect myself. E, I will educate you now. Or educate me. No, I, you educating somebody on something. Yeah. <laughs> that's all you need to Anyways, know. Anyways, <laughs> that was uh, our lesson to y'all. Uh, don't do drugs. I don't know if they still have dare in school, but if they do... Um, you're gonna need to teach your kid you're gonna need to talk to your kids about it at home yeah you're gonna need to give them a little bit more information on it (laughs) yeah Uh, anyways our theme for next week is a fun one Mm -hmm. it is dumb criminals dumb criminals so I mean I would argue that all criminals are dumb but these are the extra dumb ones yeah these are are a little bit more light hearted like the ones who try to leave the bank with a bag of money but they can't get out the door because it's a pull and not a push yeah or you know maybe they rob the bank and they're wearing a spider-man costume that's just kind of funny yeah or like spongebob when he goes to the bank with a sock on his head and he's facing the wrong direction really any bank related crime (laughs) could be it (laughs) and i just go i just go off and I don't ever go into the bank. I assume anybody who uses the teller is, in fact, a robber. Yeah, I don't go into the bank. If I have to go into the bank, I'm already pissed off. Yep. Yep, I agree. I think the last time I went into the bank was to open my account. So, yeah, the last time I went was so me and Brandon could join our accounts. And I got really confused while we were there. 
It's like I'm still a child and I need an adult there with me to let me know what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I need you to explain it to me as if I am a five-year-old. Uh-huh. And then and then if I still can't comprehend, maybe a three-year-old. Yeah. Um. Anyways. Follow us on all of our on- ish. <laughs> swear to God, Taylor. How long have we been doing this podcast now? We're too similar. We even have the same pause times, but I'll let you, I'll let you do the <laughs> plugs for our social medias. I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, face join our Facebook group. Hey, follow us on TikTok. Taylor posted a really funny TikTok today. I I laughed. Maybe you will I too. thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. I hope it takes off. I've been off. thinking about it. I've been thinking about it. It probably won't take off because uh, when I post TikToks, they get like no views. I literally posted a TikTok the other day that got zero views. That has never, ever happened. Like, ever. I've never posted a TikTok that had, I'm talking, zero views. I mean, I guess I could go view it on my own TikTok page and I'd get one. But then it won't feel the same. I don't know. But yeah. I don't understand the algorithm. I'm not going to pretend I do. But if you follow mm-hmm. us and you understand the algorithm, maybe you can make us take off. I don't know. You know, at least yeah. at least give Taylor a like on that one TikTok. I really help her. Make her feel better. Yeah, that would. But mm-hmm. until then, please stay weird. Goodbye. Goodbye.